We started the series. This is not my thing to do, but I'm going to try it. Okay. But encouraged to try to do this. I may be discouraged after trying to do it. I've never been one to, to use the whiteboard or chalkboard or anything like that. But it was helpful the time we used it before, so I'll give it a shot again. We're talking, first of all, about the Adamic Covenant. So let's get uh, let's ourselves a better one here. <laughs> Sorry that it messed up now already. There we go. The Adamic Covenant which really sets the stage for covenant theology. If you do not believe in the covenant of works, and many true Christians do not believe in the covenant of works, then you've got a a major problem that you're going to have to deal with. Because the Bible tells us, in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. It tells us that Christ is the second Adam. And so there is an Adamic covenant. You don't you know what it says, so it doesn't matter that you can't read it. It's a covenant of works. Anytime we have a covenant of works, it's going to say, do this and live, or do that and die. And that'll tell you that it's a covenant of works. And I don't have to remind you too much, I believe, that you understand uh, exactly what happened with Adam. And that Adam disobeyed. And uh, so the promise came not the covenant, but the promise came of Genesis 3.15 that the promised one would crush the head of the serpent. And this becomes, um, Genesis 3.15 is actually a vital verse. We've said it before, but in Genesis you can basically see all doctrines that uh, belong to the rest of the Bible, usually in seed form. Genesis 3.15 is the promise that uh, that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ would be born, that he would conquer Satan, that he would be the second Adam. You can just put just about everything into Genesis 3.15, and uh, it uh, goes all the way through. In the New Testament, there's an interesting verse. You don't need to turn there if you want to, but Romans 16.20, as Paul's getting ready to close the book of Romans, he says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, what do you think he's thinking about there? Well, obviously, he's thinking about Genesis 3.15. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. In some ways, Satan has already been crushed by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you also know that Satan is still working, right? He will be crushed, absolutely crushed. He's hindered today. He can no longer, and we've seen this in the the book of Revelation if we study it, he no longer can deceive the nations. That's how he stopped today. He's not capable of stopping the gospel from going forward. So the gospel goes into all the world. Where it used to be there were countries that actually, well, Baal, Molech, they were the gods of certain people. Okay, and very few, if any, believers. Oh, there'd be a handful here, Ruth from the Moabites, and so there, there were some. And so God's always had his elect people, but today we live in the, the promise of a worldwide gospel, and God works that way. 
The crushing blow to Satan was delivered in the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. But turn to Revelation chapter 12, uh, and we'll see this talked about in um, shorthand. Revelation 12 is the gospel. It's interesting. It starts out with Israel, and Israel being the one that delivers up, uh, that uh, Messiah comes through. And that's Israel's very important job. Really, her chief job is to make sure that uh, there is a people for Messiah to come to, and there's a line from which Messiah will come. Takes us back to Genesis 3.15 again. So, Revelation 12.12, and uh, you have to read the whole context, but I'm not going to do that because this is just an introduction. But as you read the whole context, you get an idea of actually what is happening here. It says, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the seal. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. Okay. And so there's there. Um, and uh, he's waiting to devour the woman. Or not the woman, but devour the child that the woman's delivering. As soon as the child is born, God doesn't let that happen. In the really shortest of shorthands, it's like the child is delivered and ascended up into heaven. Well, we know there's a lot more in there, right? <laughs> there's a lot more that takes place. But uh, that is the, the shorthand way of talking about what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And, of course, Satan and his purposes were thwarted. He spends the entire Old Testament time period trying to obliterate the seed. He does not want the seed to exist. Why? Well, the seed existing is going to crush his skull. And so he desires not for that to happen, but of course he can't do it. He can never defeat God. And then verse 17 of, of Revelation 12 uh, tells us something more. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And um, we have now changed the woman from Israel, who brings forth the child, to the church, who obeys. And, and that's made up of Jew and Gentile alike, by the way. Okay. And so, um, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't call um, the woman in verse 17 Israel, because Israel, by and large, ever since the time of Christ, has uh, refused to obey and has refused to bow to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when Satan makes war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ, make a war against us. Spiritual warfare. That's what's being spoken about. Now he can't win because God is sovereign and the gospel age has just taken the powers of Satan and uh, weakened them tremendously. But he's enraged and he's trying. So the serpent, Satan, thought he had won the victory back when the Adamic covenant was broken. Adam failed. Christ prevailed. Christ succeeded, winning a victory that even the righteous, non-sinning angels did not fully anticipate, expect, or even understand. And so... Christ erased Adam's guilt that was imputed to men as our covenant head. 
but now we, the elect, have Christ for our covenant head. And that's why I say, in Adam all die, and Christ all shall be made alive. You're either in Adam, or you're in Christ. And um, how you can know is, are you trusting, and do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? And uh, so, you're in Adam, or you're in Christ, but others are in Adam. Rest assured, all the elect will come to Christ. He will not lose one. So that's, that's a great comfort and hope for us. But we are to proclaim the gospel. We're to preach the gospel. And there is a double imputation that we're talking about that goes with the Adamic covenant. Our guilt and sin imputed to Christ which makes Christ, in the words of Luther, and I almost hesitate to say it, but we have to say it because it is correct. We're not to do any, any damage to the person of Christ at all. He never sinned, but Luther calls Christ the greatest sinner. Why? Because all of you, all of your sins, if you're a Christian, all of the sins of every Old Testament saint, all the sins of every New Testament saint that has lived, every New Testament saint that will live, all of them have been imputed to Christ. All of your sins have been paid for by him, by imputation on the cross. And then, and most Christians believe that, part of the imputation, a double imputation that is often not believed, is the fact that Christ lived a righteous, perfect life that is imputed to us. And that's why we can talk about ourselves being righteous even though you know personally that you still sin. And uh, one day we'll sin no more. But we still sin. But God looks at us in Christ. And in Christ we're perfect. That's what double imputation is all about. Now just before we move on, any questions about the Adamic covenant? Anything you'd like to to add or say, feel free. I'll recap what you say for the the tape. Yes, Doug? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Adam... The Adamic covenant uh, was, Adam failed in that covenant of works. Christ succeeded in that covenant of works. So is that then saying that Adam did not keep the law where Christ did keep the law? Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. therefore, are we required to keep the law? Ah, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. And uh, we're going to deal with that in depth when we get to the Mosaic Covenant. Because there's nothing more important than that when it deals with the Mosaic Covenant. I ask that because if we're in Christ and he has successfully kept the law, where does that put us in yes. that relationship? Absolutely. That, that's a great question. What, what Doug was saying there is, do we need to keep the law? Christ kept the law for us, and absolutely he did. Do we need to keep the law? Well, we're going to deal with that when we get to the Mosaic Covenant. And it'll be part of the New Covenant, too, that we see. I withdraw my question. You withdraw your question. Okay. <laughs> Very good. It's a good question. It's an important question. Uh, because um, you, you'll get some bad answers to that one from people, you know. Okay. The Noahic Covenant. Now, this is an interesting covenant. To me, it seems rather different uh, than the other covenants. It's not a covenant of works. 
Okay, now Noah, Noah had to build the ark. This is true. Uh, but really, this was not a covenant of works. It's unconditional. God tells Noah exactly what he's going to do. And uh, it isn't the covenant of grace, even though Noah and his family were saved in the ark. And it's used as an illustration of that in 1 Peter. But it's not the covenant of grace. But it does work with the covenant of grace because it guarantees that there will be a humankind that will exist and that the Lord Jesus Christ will come. The seed of the woman has not been defeated. Satan would have loved nothing more, just humanly speaking, as we talk about it, um, if he could have. And uh, he couldn't because God wouldn't let him. He had uh, the power to do it if God let him. But uh, you get Noah and his family and all the animals in the ark. And uh, Satan could have destroyed the ark. Right? He had the power to destroy the ark. He could have. And then win the battle because there's no human beings left. So there is no salvation uh, possible because the seed has not come. The seed. The singular seed has not come. So obviously, this is God's providence and preservation. Providence and preservation. You know? I mean, when the entire world is being destroyed by a flood, I, I think it probably took a, a mighty hand of God to keep that ark upright and keep everything, you know, uh, most, Noah was a good engineer, but I'm not sure he's such a good engineer that I said, well, God said, look at that. He built that, that thing looks pretty sturdy. I think we're going to be okay here. You know, I think he's going to make it. Uh, with the turmoil of all that was going on, no doubt God was preserving them. And that becomes a New Testament picture of how God preserves us too. So there we go. So we, we learn so much from the New Testament of how to interpret the Old Testament. You know, that's part of what the New Testament's all about. So we have that. It, it preserves humanity and uh, makes it such that there will be a Redeemer. Satan, like I said, would have destroyed it. He, that was what he was trying to do. He was trying to destroy the human race in any way that he could. But, of course, he wasn't able to do that. Um, again, Revelation chapter 12. Oh, here's where I probably should have taken you before, but um, this I put under the Noahic covenant. Revelation 12, verses 4 through 5, when we talk about um, uh, the, the covenants. Um, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Obviously talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why I say Revelation 12 is actually a gospel picture that, that goes down through that way. So, after the flood, the earth was basically recreated, and the promise was given. And now we know that the earth will not be destroyed again until it's destroyed by God himself at the second coming. And it won't be destroyed so that it exists no longer. You know that. It's destroyed in the way that it is today so that it can be recreated in the way that it needs to be. And we don't know exactly how that will happen. Uh, we've been told that uh, the heavens and, and earth are reserved by fire until the day of, of judgment. So I always taught my kids, I said, you know, the, the, this whole world will end in a big ball of fire someday. But don't worry, you don't have to be here when that happens. You can be with the Lord instead. And um, 
To me, that seems like the most logical way to do it. But if you really come right down to it, it, it's hard to know exactly how that's all going to take place. But believe it, it's going to take place. The Lord's going to come. The world as we know it will be gone. Uh, the lost will go to an eternal hell and um, the lake of fire. And Christians, so shall we ever be with the Lord as heaven and earth become one. So the Noahic covenant has a seal to it. Uh, and the seal, of course, is what's the seal? Who knows what the seal of the Noahic covenant is? The rainbow, the, the beautiful, wonderful rainbow. After the refreshing rains come, I mean, almost everybody I've ever met get really excited when they see the rainbow in the sky. Now, I get rather upset when I see the rainbow on flags, okay? But you see the rainbow in the sky, it's refreshing, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's refreshing. And I think deep down in our souls, even the lost realize there's a message in the rainbow, you know? And we as Christians know what that message in the rainbow is. Of course, it's, it's God's preservation. The rains that destroyed the earth and the flood and the deluge that came down. Well, the rains stop. And then there's the rainbow showing the wonderful promise of God, you know? So that's the seal. And, um, you know, I, I had the unfortunate, when I was in Tucson, had the unfortunate uh, situation of there was a church that I won't name the church uh, they changed their name, and I can't remember what they changed it to, but it was a Baptist church. It was an American Baptist church. And uh, next thing I know, um, they had changed their name to United such and such and such a Christian Fellowship, which is usually not a good sign. I will give my Reformed brethren credit, the United Reformed Church. That's a good church, okay? That's a good church. We don't agree with them on everything, but that's one of the few that says united, and it's good. United Methodist Church, I doubt that there's anything there. There, there, may, there are a few Methodist churches that still preach the gospel, but I doubt you'll find one in a United Methodist Church. I could be proven wrong. But a United Presbyterian Church, same thing. Whenever you have united, it's the coming together of a whole bunch of groups, usually, and so it always caters to the lowest common denominator. And that's never a healthy thing for a group. So United, in my opinion, and it is just an opinion, is a giveaway right there that you've got a problem. This church changed their name to, it wasn't a denominational name of any sort, and I couldn't really understand what they were trying to say. It was something like United Christian Fellowship or something like that. That wasn't exactly it, but it was something like that. So this time when I was driving by, I always take note of that church because it's right on the way to Ben and Cassie's house. As I drove by this time, I was shocked but not totally surprised to see the rainbow flag hanging where there used to be a Baptist church where I assume used to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have that right here in, in Ontario. Just go to Euclid Avenue, uh, the United Congregational Church. That church has a history that's a very good and strong history. Their history, in their history, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, when they were established, would have been very similar to our own beliefs. You know, their confession of faith, very similar 
to our confession of faith. Um, Goodwin and Owen worked on that confession of faith that they had. I'm pretty sure they don't have that confession of faith any longer, you know. And the last someone told me there were, there were 12 congregational churches that they knew of in the United States that uh, still preached the gospel in, in truth. They were called the four C's. That uh, was their denomination, the four C's. Really a small denomination, but um, that's, that's what I've been told by a man that's in that denomination. So we'll just pass that on for what it's worth. So anyway, the Noahic Covenant has a purpose. It preserved and protected humanity so that Messiah could come and redeem his elect. So the Noahic Covenant is very important, you know, in the providence of God. Uh, so like I said, Satan would have loved to have destroyed that ark if he could have. Then we come to the Abrahamic Covenant. Okay, the Abrahamic Covenant. Um, I'm going to see if you're right, Joe. I can do it. I think I can do it. Turn this thing around. It has preserved itself for a few weeks. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you were worried about me. But you helped me. Thank you. <laughs> I think so. Mr. Cameron, that good? <laughs> okay. Well, as we come to the Abrahamic Covenant, uh, we studied that, I think, three weeks on the Abrahamic Covenant. And uh, it, it's a very important covenant because it really has shown us the coming new covenant in the greatest way possible. But it, it will, it's a two-part covenant. That's what we need to see. Well, that wasn't understood as well in the, the Old Testament time, but we ought to see it in this new covenant age for what it is. Abraham, justified by faith. Okay, So we should never think that men have ever saved themselves by keeping the law. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was not that, that we could be saved by the law. So that's a bit of a spoiler alert for the Mosaic Covenant. But the law is good and right if it's used lawfully. So, there you go, Doug. <laughs> give, you, give you a little crumb to throw out there, which I, I know you know. But uh, the Abrahamic Covenant, it can be found in Genesis 12 by promise. It can be found in Genesis 15 by covenant, and in Genesis 17, by covenant once again. And um, we, we put things into categories, and I'm going to go real fast here because I want to really get to, the, to where I wanted to go today. But um, in the Abrahamic covenant, there are the promise of land, nations, you'll be the father of many nations, kings will come from you, this is the government, okay, and then there's a purpose. Now, <clears throat> leave your father's house and go to the land I'll show you. Land. Physically, it's, it's Canaan. It's the promised land. But now we see, spiritually, that it's the promise of the new covenant. The bride, actually, the church, and all believers through all the ages, and the new Jerusalem that we find in Revelation 21. Heaven and earth. Okay. So, 
Here's the physical promise. Here's the spiritual promise. Nations. You'll be the father of many nations. And he was. He wasn't the father just of Israel. There's other nations <coughs> that came from him too. But Israel is where our focus is because that's where God's focus is. And so it becomes my covenant that I make with, um, and it says all the time, with um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, you notice whenever he says that, and that, it says that in the Bible, I don't know how many times, but my covenant that I made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he doesn't say the covenant I made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and Joseph. And he doesn't say with even Judah. Okay. It's, here's the patriarchs here. And then Jacob becomes Israel, and the seal is circumcision. That you see in Genesis 17. Okay. So it isn't that you can go to Genesis 15 and see nothing but spiritual promises, and then Genesis 17 and see nothing but physical promises. That's, that's not true. And we, it, would be, uh, it would be nice if it was outlined that way, but I think God's smarter than I am. So it's not outlined that way. But you can see it, you can see it if you put 15, 12, 15, and 17 together. You can see spiritual, and you can see physical. Okay. And so there was a nation from which Messiah would come. And he becomes the father of many nations, which then tells us that's the faithful. Jew and Gentile alike brought together by faith in the church. Okay. And this is really important in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Paul goes into great detail talking about that, and uh, that the Gentiles must never think that the Jews have been forsaken. They have not been forsaken, but forsake Christ, and you will be forsaken. That's the truth. Okay, so land promises, okay? People get really excited. Israel's back in the land again. Well, Israel's unbelievers. Uh, they, unless they turn to Christ, they could lose that little partial of land they have. And it wouldn't be against God uh, for that to happen. It happened before, and it could easily happen again. Uh, they are not turning to Christ in great numbers, so there's the problem there. Land, nations, and government. This is what the Abrahamic covenant is all about, government. There is no nation to govern when Abraham is living. There are no nations being created yet. So they go down into Egypt, and in e the womb of Egypt, a nation is formed. 400 years, but a nation is formed. In the womb of Egypt, God brings them out, and uh, of course then they need, now they need a government, because here they are. And this is what the Mosaic Covenant is going to be about. What are, what are the rules of government? And very simply... Um, they should be divided into three categories to help us understand. You know, the ceremonial law, uh, the governmental laws that they need, and then, of course, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, which existed before Israel existed and, and still exists today. Okay. So that's the Mosaic Covenant, which brings us into the Davidic Covenant, where we really see Christ strongly there, is, and, of course, uh, through David's line that the Lord Jesus Christ will come. And the purpose of all of this is to form the nation that would have the Mosaic and Davidic covenants 
That's the purpose. That's even the physical purpose. And then the spiritual is to bring in the new uh, government by Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's a, a review that takes us to where we are today. What I'd like to do now is uh, do a case study in, in how the Mosaic Covenant works, which you can do by turning to Numbers 13. I'm going to read a large portion of Scripture with very little comment in the time that we have left. And um, it really shows how, how the Mosaic Covenant works itself out. Now, remember, in the womb of Egypt, a nation was born. Okay. And so we have the situation of um, they're brought out with a powerful hand. Numerous miracles are worked. These people that were formerly slaves are now free. And they're marching to the promised land. And they land right on the border of the promised land. They're there. They're ready to step across um, into the promised land that God had given to them. And verse Numbers 13. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. So a great and awesome responsibility is given to 12 men to go and spy out the land. These 12 men are going to need to, to actually give a report back to the children of Israel and so they can go into the land and know what they're facing. And skip down to verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south, go up to the mountains, see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. And uh, that tells us something if you think about it. <laughs> They're going to a land they'd never been to. Uh, they had never seen a YouTube of what the promised land looked like. They knew nothing about this land, you know. Whatever they knew might have been told to them by Egyptians somehow. Some of those Egyptians may have traveled there before. But uh, they themselves really knew nothing about the land they were going to except the promises of God. God had given promises that this would be your land. It's a good land. It's a fruitful land. And so here they stand on the boundary, and Moses says, go check out the land. With the idea, and God had said to do it, by the way, with the idea, okay, let's see what we're up against so we can form some wise human plans of how to take the land. Because we always should have wise human plans. God can change our plans, but you need to have a plan, right? You should have some direction of where you're going. Of course, you know what happened. Verse um, 26, now they departed. We're in um, Numbers 13, by the way. Verse 26, now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And that was the promise, that they would live in a land flowing with milk and honey. 
and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, okay, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> Nevertheless, after a report like that, it is not going to be good. You know that, right? Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Yeah, true. The cities are fortified and very large. True. Think about Jericho, you know. Moreover, we, and they, that wasn't the only walled city, by the way. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. <coughs> and then Caleb speaks up. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Was Caleb right or wrong? That is absolutely right. And he's honored for his faithfulness. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. Which would have been true if it wasn't for the Lord. The Lord was on their side, and the Lord was the one that brought them there. Okay, And uh, they weren't stronger than the Lord. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, that came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And usually what happens, happened here. A bad report will often carry more weight than a good report. That's one of the reasons the news that you watch is always so bad. <laughs> because bad news travels really fast and sticks well. Good news, not so much. You know, Good news, in fact, there's a tendency when you have good news to think, well, yeah, it's good news today, but it's going to be bad tomorrow. You know, <laughs> there's a tendency to look like that. You know, so. But anyway, all the congregation lifted up their voices, verse 14, and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. I mean, wait a minute. That's, that's not even sanity talking there. You want to die in Egypt? Well, a lot of you did, you know. You want to die in the wilderness? A lot of you will, you know. So, you know, said, only we had died in the land of Egypt. If only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us out to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? There you go. There's the appeal to the emotions and that often is so very effective. These are brave warriors themselves, but they don't want their wives and children to be hurt, you know, so they're going to protect them. Um, not, didn't do a very good job of it, did they? You know, so... Um, so they said to one another, let us select a leader, return to Egypt. That's about a year after they left. You think the Egyptians are going to be real happy to see them? No. Ten plagues fell. They lost their firstborn. They kicked Israel out with a strong hand. Um, Pharaoh followed them. Uh, Pharaoh and his army was drowned in the sea. Uh, when Israel comes back, if they came back, I don't think they'd be open. Say, oh, our slaves have returned. It's a good thing. We need these guys. I, I don't think that was going to happen, you know. So they're not even thinking straight, you know. And this is covenant breaking. We're going to talk about the Mosaic covenant. But this is covenant breaking. So they won't get the land. 
When you understand that, it really helps you understand the book of Hebrews. It talks about their carcasses fell in the wilderness. They're covenant breakers, you know. And uh, covenant breakers are usually breaking the covenant by worshiping idols. That's the way it's usually done. That's the normal way of covenant breaking of the Mosaic covenant. But these are doing it by outright rebellion against God and against his word. And so none of them, except for two, will enter the promised land. The two that that gave a good report. Their descendants will enter the land. And, um, you know, the remnant believes in God by faith. Well, anyway, verse 6. Let's go down to verse 6 of chapter 14. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy on is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he'll bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And after that great exhortation, verse 10, and all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And I won't read the rest of that, but you can read it yourself there. Starting in verse number 11, Moses interceding for the people. Moses, a great example of a godly man. But even as Moses intercedes for the people, his intercession is not perfect like Christ's intercession. When Christ intercedes, there's, there's forgiveness, there's salvation, there's glory, there's all these things. When Moses intercedes, God listens because, as the Bible puts it, God talked face to face with Moses. It's an amazing thing. Uh, we even see Moses in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Law and the Prophets meeting together with Christ. You know, Moses is there. Elijah is there. And uh, so a death sentence is passed. It's a, a covenant of, it's on the other side. Well, I didn't even put it up there, did I? Oh, well. Okay, it's not there. <laughs> the Mosaic Covenant is a covenant of works. Do this and live. Do this and die. And if there's anything you've learned from the book of Judges, and I hope you've learned many, many things from the book of Judges. Uh, what happens every time they disobey? They become slaves. When they turn to God, what happens? Okay, God restores them, and they become the, the victors. Well, here's the covenant in action, verse 26 of chapter 14. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I've heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who've complained against me shall fall in this wilderness. All of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. And look how accurate God's word is. This is a year after leaving Egypt. There's two figures that you would have thought 
would be entering the land besides Joshua and Caleb. You think Moses? Certainly he's going to go in. And Aaron, he's going to go in. But you know the rest of the story, don't you? So they don't. God is absolutely accurate. Verse 31. But your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring in. And they shall know the land which you've despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years. And bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. I said it three times now. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days. For each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. You know what happened, but it also happened immediately. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made, verse 36, made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land. Those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. So 400 years in the womb of Egypt, now 40 more years before the promises can be fulfilled. And Moses himself will not even partake of the promises of the land. But remember, when God took him to the top of that mountain, took him to a better land. Took him to the land that Moses was really looking for, you know. And uh, so, and we can say the same thing about Abraham. What does it say about Abraham? He traverses all through Canaan land, but he's really looking where the city whose builder and maker is God. This is faith. See, this is faith in the Old Testament. We see it that way. Believing what God said, you know. And there are many, many Old Testament saints, by the way. Uh, even in the time of Israel's worst, worst apostasies, during the time of Elijah, God says, I still have 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. In a nation of maybe a million or more, 7,000 is a pretty puny remnant, but it's a remnant. God had a remnant, you know, even then. To us, that seems small. Size doesn't matter to God. <laughs> God's not concerned so much with size. He's concerned with his word. So, there was a futile invasion attempt given. We're running out of time here. But in the Mosaic Covenant, we're going to find governmental laws for the people. They're going to need that as a nation. And they'll be given to them as they go through their wilderness journeys. There's ceremonial laws, including the priesthood, and purity issues, their foreshadowings of, of the coming of Christ and his once-for-all sacrifice of himself. And God goes into great detail uh, with many of these laws. And some of them appear to be very inconsequential and even ridiculous. Don't mix wool and cotton. You know, what's that all about? You know, well, that's a very good way to make clothes, mixing wool and cotton. Purity. Purity is the issue here. And, and that's true with so many of these things. And uh, much of Numbers and much of Leviticus deals with these things. And we'll be talking about them. Uh, be holy, for I am holy. Said over and over again. Holy in the sense means separated to God. No idols. That's why you don't mix garment, cotton and wool, purity. 
uh, if we had time, and we'll actually pick up from here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we'll start next week, Lord willing. And that'll be a good place to actually introduce the covenant once again. The book of Deuteronomy is the retelling of the law by Moses in, I believe it's five uh, basically sermons. And we'll start with Deuteronomy 6, and then we'll go into the Mosaic covenant itself and and how it's structured and, and what it's all about. Okay, very good. Thank you for your kind attention. Let's look to the Lord in prayer and get ourselves ready for the worship service. Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace to us. We are a privileged people. There were people that had to walk by faith, really walk by faith, because they didn't see the Messiah. Blessed are we, even more than the people that physically saw him. Because Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those that have not seen and yet still believe. And we're counted among that number. We thank you for the blessings we have as as new covenant believers. Help us never to despise that. Help us never to wish for a different day. Lord, this is a better day, better in every way. We have the final word of God. We have what we need to live the Christian life. We can look to Jesus, and we can see him with eyes of faith. They looked ahead to a coming Messiah. We look back to one we know as the Lord Jesus Christ and the entire New Testament written about him, which explains so much of the Old Testament that really perplexed many. Isaiah was perplexed even as he wrote much of what he wrote, but he wrote what you told him to write, and what he wrote was true about the coming king. They knew one was coming. Father, we thank you that by faith we can know that he has come. So bless the rest of this day, and we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.